So through the summer, we were thinking to uh, consider an Old Testament uh, passage and to reflect on the life of David with a sense, too, of having that speak into our lives as God works in David's life and, and continues to work in our lives and that we see how God is good and gracious in so many ways. So we will be, through the summertime, uh, looking at uh, the life of David and in between, too, sometimes people are away. And so within the whole range of things, we'll be just picking up uh, different uh, central themes out of the life of David. And so it'll be some kind of a flow to it. And yet, if you're unable to be here a certain Sunday, then it, it won't throw everything off. So we hope just to have a, uh, an encouraging time reflecting through the life of David. 1 Samuel 16 is where officially... The story of the life of David begins. And our text is verse 1, where specifically uh, God says, uh, I have chosen David, or I have chosen one of the sons of Jesse to be king. So that sense of being chosen by God is what we are looking at this morning. When we initially hear about David here, you have to recognize that there is a, an element of, of David being treated badly. That's, that's the sense of the story at first. And so the, the equivalent to us would be the sense, too, of have you ever felt, too, that, that you were treated poorly, that you were made to feel uh, less worthy by others, worthless, in fact. It could be in your family or among friends or in school or the church community that, that you just have a feeling, a general attitude towards you that, that you are really not that good, not really very capable, not really very reliable. That, that was the attitude toward David as this account begins. Along with that, there is to recognize, have you ever made others feel unworthy, worthless. Could be in the family, could be among your friends, that you put someone down either publicly or that you just happen to point out their faults privately through gossip and suggestive comments, making the point basically that they are worthless. They are no good. It happens at school. It's called bullying. It happens in the church community at times or between churches. We are good. They are no good. A general attitude towards certain people, they are no good, not reliable, unworthy of friendship or even basic respect as people created by God. This was Jesse and his brother. This was their attitude toward David. So this morning, this passage calls us to examine our hearts, even as God does, and see that our judgment of others is often very wrong and very tainted. God knows David's heart and declares that David is a godly person. It says in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, God is speaking here to King Saul, whose kingdom is being taken away. Now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart 
Well, that's David. David is a man whose heart is in tune with God's heart and will appoint him leader of God's people because you, Saul, have not kept the Lord's command. So that's what God is looking for. And we need to recognize, too, how how God needs to forgive us when we judge others in, in ways that are completely inappropriate and to help us to forgive others when they judge us. So we're looking at the story in 1 Samuel 16. And here we first meet David. And the events transpire around a need for a king, a new king to be chosen to lead God's people. Saul is no longer serving the way God would want him to. When our text says in verse 1 that I have chosen, God says, there is a contrast to how Saul was chosen. If you look back to how Saul was chosen as king, it was more the people saying, oh, he's the one. And they looked outwardly at him. And so here God is doing the choosing, and it's based on his heart, not appearance. There is a reality of how off Saul's rule is in terms of God, verse 2, that Samuel himself is afraid that Saul will kill him. Samuel is the prophet of God, the representative of God among the people. Saul is so out of touch with God, he would even consider killing Samuel. So it shows how off the, the heart of Saul was and so unfit to be king. Here in 1 Samuel 16, God is specifically, personally choosing the new king. So how does God go about choosing? How does God evaluate people? He sends Samuel as his representative, and as events unfold, we see a very different approach to how God looks at people, his standards as compared to human standards. And it's a striking, it's a frightening difference because it points out our sin so often. In 1 Samuel 16, we see Samuel still influenced by the outward appearance. And so in in verse 6, when the first son arrives, Eliab. Eliab's name means God is my father. So so that, that the name suggests, yeah, God would be at the center. But the stress is on the outward appearance. And so God right away reminds Samuel in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his outward appearance, his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So that standard is set. And then we have the next son come, Abinadab. Abinadab means generous. And so Abinadab is a generous man. And it's good to be generous. And it's in a way a godly thing to be generous. But it's not enough just to be a generous person. And so Abinadab is, is seen and reflected on and not accepted. The third son, Shammah. That's, Shammah is the wonderful one. Ooh, the wonderful one. So he would be quite a a number of fine qualities about this particular person. 
You say, hey, this is the one, the wonderful one. But the godliness is not there. In a human sense, he is everything you might expect. But his godly heart is not there. So you you get this progression even in the names of the sons. And the other sons are named in Chronicles, Nathaniel, Radai, Ozum, and Elihu. They are not specifically mentioned here. They are all good possibilities in the eyes of Jesse, in the eyes of Samuel, not accepted. The standard of judgment is different than what we might have. And it's funny, surprising to Samuel uh, and to Jesse that none of these are selected for the kingly task. And it's almost comical when at a certain point here, uh, Samuel, in verse 11, turns to Jesse. Says, Are these all the sons you have? <laughs> you would assume, you would assume, of course, Jesse would know. Sons? Yes. And yet, he only presents these. And the, the sense of, of it maybe being a, a little humorous is, on the other hand, shocking that Jesse has made a choice. He has chosen to acknowledge these seven, and he's saying, I only have seven. Not my son. There's a rejection here of David. These are my son. David is not my son. So Samuel really has to get, get through to him. What, what, what is your standard of choosing about your own children? It's shocking that David is not included. So strong, a sinful attitude, even with Jesse, between his sons. I need you to realize how, how shocking that is. And, and there's various other evidences that point to how shocking that is. Jesse himself chooses the seven, leaves out David. That reality also is, is shocking in terms of earlier on in the passage where Samuel comes to Jesse and invites Jesse and his family to church, basically. They are going to have a, a worship time in Bethlehem there. And, and it says specifically that Samuel consecrates uh, Jesse and his family. Samuel personally in verse 5. And that's, that's a whole sense of blessing you and your family. Calling the blessing of God on you and your family. And as a father, he would want to do that. That's a vital time. And it's very special that Samuel comes around and does this. And it's, it's a high moment of godliness and praise and worship. And to say, David, not part of that. He's, he's, not, he's not really my son. He's, it's like coming to church and, and you have a couple kids and you leave one at home. So it's not, not don't bother coming. Not worthy. Not part of our family. 
It's a terrible thing. You also have it in the sense of the attitude of the family toward David. Later on in 1 Samuel 17, the next chapter, as David comes to meet his brothers at the battle against the Philistines, David and Goliath's story, then it says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 28, Eliab, the oldest brother, heard that David was there speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? It was worthless. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Yeah, that's the attitude of the brothers towards their brother. That reminds us a little bit of, of yeah, Joseph and his brothers. The story when he's thrown down the well and sold to the Midianites and sent to Egypt. There is a, a, a sense of anger, worthlessness given to David. That attitude is there, a severe judgment in the family. David considered conceited and wicked. And there's a third thing in the actual reading of the text a very significant uh, indication of David's insignificance. He is not even named. If you notice in the text, there's no mention of his name through the first part of the text. There is simply the reference to the youngest. And even as he is called uh, in verse, uh, verse 11, there is still the youngest, no name mentioned. He is tending the sheep. And he is sent for, he comes. And in fact, he is anointed as the anonymous one. We still don't know his name when he's anointed. Has no name. He's nobody. He's nothing. He is completely worthless. There's an echo there to the reality that we see in the New Testament and the Gospels, Jesus was considered worthless, despised and rejected. Yet he is God's chosen Savior of us all. So those echoes come through in the story of David. It is striking. But then more striking is that in verse 13, as soon as he is anointed, then it says, the Spirit of the Lord came on David. He is significant in the eyes of the Lord. And so that sense of, of in the eyes of the Lord, even the most insignificant in our eyes are significant to God. And we need to truly realize that. It's not right. It's not godly. It's not good. It's hurtful in the family. And when we treat people as worthless that is a sin that we struggle with. It can happen in families, in church families. It challenges us to consider our attitudes toward others and judging others and excluding people when we focus on outward things. When we too sometimes consider people unworthy to be invited, even to an event or to a church service, they're not really worthy of joining us. What kind of an attitude is that? We have that at times 
and again, that we don't even bother to know the name of others. I don't even need to bother to know the names of the people in my church. Certain ones I know, they're worthy. The others I don't know, who cares? Or the names of people around you, your neighbors or in the community. So there are echoes too. How do we judge? How do we exclude people? We need to focus on God's heart that reaches out to all he has created in love and that he seeks to work in them, a saving work and even a very important work in often the most insignificant people. These are truths that come to us out of this passage. Notice how everything changes when God's choice is honored. Just wonderful. When, Jesus, when Jesse mentions there is one more son, Samuel finally starts to get it, and everything stops, everything changes. For the family, for Samuel, Samuel especially, he realizes he has been wrong. And so he, he calls everything to a halt. He said to, we're not going to do anything more here. The whole worship time, the whole town is there. Uh, everything has everything stopped. And, and they wait. Harriet made allusion to it. There were no quads. How far away was he? We don't know. But was it an hour? Was it two hours? Was it five hours? And then realized that he would have to come back and he would have to be consecrated. He would have to wash. He would have to put on the proper clothes. You can't just come into this gathering now. So everyone is sitting, waiting, thinking, reflecting on, wait a minute, what, what is God doing? How is, this, how is this actually such a worthless person in our eyes maybe is worthy in God's eyes? And so to pause and reflect, and for us to think too, maybe of someone who we have wronged, who we have rejected and hurt, maybe it comes to mind to you this morning. God speaking into our hearts, our lives. There's a waiting and a reflecting. And we would look at people again with new eyes, because that's what we see when David comes. David is brought forward, and, and he's, a, he's a different person than, than what everybody had thought and said about him. He is brought into the center of the family, the center of the group, and the contrast is, is striking. One who is completely insignificant is, is suddenly presented as not really so insignificant. This person is, is pretty good. It says he is ruddy. He is uh, the sense of tanned, outdoors, uh, an active, yeah, creation-loving person. And so that reality is presented. There's also fine appearance, literally uh, beautiful eyes, the sense of, of the eyes as, as expressing the, the truth of the heart, of the soul, a godly person. And it adds that he is handsome in the sense of, of, of fit, healthy, agile, that, that he stands, maybe not tall, but strong and solid. He's, he's, he's a fine person in that way. And so Samuel gets it. There is nothing wrong with this person apart from Samuel's attitude. The 
apart from Jesse's attitude, apart from the brother's attitude, what about our attitude toward others? We say, oh, they're no good. They're lousy. They're worthless. It has nothing to do with the reality of who they are. It's our sinful attitude. And that gets adjusted here. Do you and I get it? How do we judge ourselves and others on the outward appearance or on an inner strength of faith and a a potential for God working in lives? David is the youngest. He's probably around 15 years old. So there too, how do we judge the place of of youth in our church? Well, they're, they're worthless. Well, they're, they're, we don't know their names. What is our attitude? And so in, in response to that as a worship team and as a church in general, we try to, try to build that up, that, yeah, they are worthy and their, their place and their input is exceptionally valuable. And so those kind of truths flow out of this passage. Finally, uh, we might still very practically wonder, can David function in this role when, when we would try to defend ourselves and say, well, this person is really unfit, unworthy in different ways? Well, notice once the attitude changes, Samuel takes the horn of oil, anoints David in the presence of his brother. And then the Spirit comes on David. And that sense of God equipping him. So if God chooses, God will equip. And the equipping is is remarkable. There is the sense of, of David entering into the very palace of the king as an observer, as a helper, entering Saul's service. And the whole attitude toward David changes. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 18, one of the servants of King Saul says, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man. Where did that come from? He is a warrior. He speaks well. He is a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. Where do they get that? He is brave, meaning a valiant, a a giant, literally. All of a sudden, the understanding of God at work in him. He is a warrior, the sense of a team player, a leader. He speaks well with understanding. He knows much. He articulates things well. But it's all based on that last part of the verse, and the Lord is with him. The Lord is working in him as he is receiving that call of God on his life. As he is going forward in faith, he is coming out as a man of faith and character, a godly person. And so that continues to be affirmed in verse 19 of 1 Samuel 16. The king needs someone to help him. He doesn't summon Eliab or Shammah or Abinadab. He summons David. What an affirmation. Not not in who David is, but in who God is. And in verse 21, King Saul promotes David from 
playing the harp, which was very effective and important, to being an armor bearer. And so a very significant position of influence and honor. And in that, again, we see God at work. In verse 22, Saul says, I am pleased with him. Saul is pleased with him. And so there is a sense of, of, of recognizing even there when God says about Jesus at his baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God working in people to do significant things. Consider how we judge the least, the smallest, the insignificant, those we feel are unimportant. See how God looks at the heart and in that realize how God's perspective and our, how our perspective are so different that those we consider less important are used by God in the most powerful way. And together we are called to serve our God in love and devotion. Amen.